Hi everyone, I'm Mike Goldsworthy. And I'm Blake Ryan, and we want to welcome you to the Tomorrowland Church Podcast. We created this podcast to explore innovative ways transformational leaders are leading and reimagining the church for tomorrow. With that said, let's start the show. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Tomorrowland Church Podcast. We are so glad to have you back with us again today, and um, we're really looking forward to today's guest, who will introduce in just a moment. But before we introduce him, he is actually a university president. And so I thought, Blake, maybe what we could do as we got going today is I I would love to hear about some of your college experience. Do you have any like memorable college times that that were significant to you or like where you just screwed up somehow? Absolutely, man. Um, I'm not sure about screwing up. I was a pretty, pretty well behaved most part of college. I completely believe that, actually. (laughs) And the things that I didn't do well, I was I was able to hide. So um, (laughs) um, no, but one of the one of the college uh, memories that I have, I couldn't afford to live on. So I went to Azusa Pacific University and uh, I was living out here with my folks in Corona. And so I was a commuter student, right? So I, um, my, my first class in the morning was accounting 101 at 730 in the morning. So there I am, you know, I had this 1992 Chevy Astrovan and frost white. And (laughs) uh, because the 71 wasn't going all the way through between Corona um, and connecting up there by Pomona, Um, I had to go the back way through Chino Hills. Now, um, that sounds really lovely, uh, Chino and Chino Hills, but um, back in the day, that was all dairy farms. So on a nice, uh, you know, cool morning when when the rain uh, was was coming down gently across the the, the roads in the the back streets of Chino, um, you would see manure washing across the road from from one dairy to another. And so having... The beautiful white van that I had uh, driving through that, um, you know, it became something quite different. And I think I think the best part of that is when I got to school, you know, I didn't really have a place to hang out between classes. So um, I would go and take a nap in my van with the, the windows down because it'd get a little bit warm sometimes. And I could just smell that manure just lingering and uh, because it had hung on to the van. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good memory, and yeah. painted the picture well. I can, I can experience it along with you. <laughs> and for our listeners who aren't from Southern California and live in other places like the Midwest, maybe that's a common experience for you. But I will tell you that it is not out here <laughs> uh, to drive through stuff like that. That's right. Um, well, I went to I went to a Christian college as well for my undergrad, and when I was there, I was a ministry major. And a couple of my buddies were ministry majors. We were actually all youth ministry majors, but for whatever reason, they had never they had never done the game where you try to like chug a gallon of milk, <laughs> which is like physically impossible. And I and I tried to tell them like we were talking about it one day because we we're talking about probably like youth group games or something. Sure. And they're like both of them tell me like we're in this conversation. They both tell me like no no, no I can totally chug a gallon of milk. And I was like no you can't. And they said yeah I totally can do it. And so. <laughs> So we set up, we set up one evening outside of the dorms, like a challenge and like 50 people came out to watch wow. this, Wow, that's um, a deal. you know, which it was a small school. So that's, yeah. you know, like 
a fifth of the school is out there. Yeah, to watch it's like this. a school rally right there. <laughs> right. That there's apparently nothing else going on on like a Tuesday evening. And and the bet was with one of them that um, that he had to wear a shirt if he lost for the entire day that I wrote all over things like Mike is awesome. Nice. Things like that. The other one who's actually um, uh, uh, someone who who you would know as well because he served at a church that you and I were involved. Ah, in. Somebody's coming to mind. So he um, he <laughs> the thing that he would have to do is he would have to wear a dress the next day. Oh, nice. To all of his classes. Yeah. And um, and both of them got about a quarter of a gallon and then just started heaving <laughs> and just puking, you know, um, uh, a milk everywhere. And, and then they had to wear that the next day. It was really wonderful. That's awesome, man. You notice that both of our stories are connected in some ways to cows. Yeah, that's a that's a strong point that you make there. You know, I'm just trying to find the theme. That there's probably something that God's trying to tell us about cows <laughs> and about our college. We experience. missed our calling. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. But um, yeah, so college was a good time for many of us. For some of us, it was some really formative years. It was really significant. And um, while we may or may not have known our university president. The president like has a significant effect on the culture of the school, has a significant effect on the life of students, on what kind of education is happening there, on the direction of all those sorts of things. So I'm excited for us to talk to a university president today about how he's thinking about the future and things like that. Um, but before we do that, Blake, our our podcast, we started putting it out publicly recently. And so people have been listening to it, how they've been rating it, how you feel about all of that. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, news on the street, Mike, is uh, we've got five stars out of five stars. So I'm pretty, pretty excited about that. We've got five stars out of five stars right now. Yeah. So, um, friends, we would love for you to go on to iTunes and rate it. That's helpful for us. Just, you know, don't screw up our perfect record right now. <laughs> and uh, and if you're enjoying any of these, we would really appreciate you passing it on, giving us shout outs on social media. Uh, any of those sorts of things would be incredibly helpful. Um, but today's guest is Dr. Paul Alexander. He's the president of Hope International University, which is out here in Southern California. It's actually headquartered in Fullerton. Um, Dr. Alexander has been on staff there since 1994. He was a professor. He served as the chair of the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences. Um, he was a professor of psychology, professor of leadership. He's done all sorts of different roles before he eventually became the university president. And he was he was actually one of my professors. And, and I'll share a little story about him when we get to the, the end of the podcast. But um, I'm excited for everyone to get to hear a bit from Dr. Alexander here. All right. Well, friends, welcome back to the Tomorrowland Church podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. We've got our friend, Dr. Paul Alexander here. And uh, Dr. Alexander is the president of Hope International University, which is actually my alma mater for my bachelor's degree. And um, before he was a president, he was my professor. I had Dr. Alexander uh, for adolescent psychology. So all of the ways that I messed up kids when I was a youth pastor, you can blame on Dr. Alexander here. Um, but Paul, we are really grateful to have you here with us on the Tomorrowland Church podcast. Thanks for making time today. 
Well, thank you for having me. And it's, you know, it's a unique time to be doing this, to be doing this in the middle of a, of a pandemic. Um, I, I don't know if we'll talk directly about uh, leadership uh, in, in the midst of the global crisis, but I'm happy to make time to do it. And yeah, I remember you back in the day before the beard and, and before you had a wife and kids and you were just sitting on the back row of my adolescent psych class smirking. <laughs> I, I didn't know why you were smirking. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could tell you why I was smirking either, but I'm, it's because he didn't understand. It's probably true. It was just it's, a quizzical look, maybe. It's probably very true. Um, well, Paul, you have been involved in ministry and education of future ministers for a, for a while now, for several decades now. And I thought maybe the way that we would get going into this a bit, and I would love to get into some of the reality of, of leading during covid it's been interesting to talk um, to different leaders about things that have come up during that, but I'd love to start here first. Are, what are some of the differences that you're noticing in people who are going into ministry today versus the kinds of people who are going into ministry maybe just a few decades ago? Are you, are you seeing things different at all? Well, yeah. I mean, there, there are some subtle differences and, and some less than subtle differences. I think one of the big changes, and I think this is going to be a challenge for the church nationally and internationally, is a lot of our young students really have no desire to serve small and mid-sized churches. Mm. Now, that's not universally true, but the average student going to a Christian college or Bible college um, is very attracted to the larger churches. And, and it's understandable, right? So they go and there's, there's a team of people all doing the same thing instead of being a lone wolf. And there's uh, resources available. There are resources available, and right there's momentum and fun and impact. Um, and students don't want to go work in the smaller churches, and they don't want to drive to go work in the smaller churches. And that's, I think, that's been a big change in just one generation, where before you'd see people coming to college and that'd be kind of the center of the hub. And at, on the midweek and weekends, they would go out 50 miles, 100, 150 miles normally and routinely. And students don't want to do that now. Um, and the little schools serving in rural parts of the country um, that are part of our tribe are having a real problem trying to find people that want to go back to little rural areas. So that's a concern. You know, what are we looking at in 10 and 15 and 20 years from now? How, how do we sustain rural churches? Do, you know, are we going to raise up leaders from within the church? How are we going to entice them back from... Um, from this attraction to megachurches. One of the things I try to tell my students is, you know, don't rule out small to mid-sized churches because you'll get an instant family. You go to a church of 300, 500, 700 people, they will adopt you. They will they will tuck you under their wing and they will take good care of you. Not that a big church won't, but there's something about that connection that can happen in smaller churches. So that's definitely one of the big yeah, yeah. changes. Um, well, another... Uh, yeah, sorry. On that note, what, what do you think it is? What do you think it is behind that? What's what's driving maybe the current students uh, to want to be a part of a mega church and not necessarily considering some of the opportunity and say small or mid size? What what do you think is driving those decisions? Well, I think the bulk of it, in my experience, has been students love to go and be part of a team, right? So they can be one of six people doing junior high and high school ministry instead of being on their own developing all their own plans and resources and activities and, and trying to do outreach kind of flying without a net is how it feels to them to go out and do it. But, you know, back in the day, my generation, certainly my parents' generation, 
that was kind of the only thing to do is, is you would go out and you would figure it out. And sometimes it worked out and sometimes you kind of, you know, you splat. Um, there's a little more support for being able to jump in with a big church. You know, you can make a mistake and write yourself. But I think the number one most compelling thing is I get instant community because I'm, I'm one of many people doing the same thing. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I was having a conversation actually just yesterday uh, along a similar vein where I was talking with some friends about we're seeing the we've seen over the last 10 or so years, the rise of the megachurch with with um, it just increasing amount of megachurches being reg- like just more and more and more and more. And at the same time, we're seeing um, a higher percentage of people who are attending church are attending megachurches than ever before also. So you're more likely to attend a mega church if you're going to church on a Sunday in the United States than you are to not go to a mega church. And we were talking about like, what are the future implications of this? What does that end up looking like? And we were kind of conjecturing, just kind of like playing it out in our mind, like that you have like the Walmarts move into a, an area and the mom and pop shop shut down. The average church size in America is under 100. And so you have you have that happening with churches as well, big churches and smaller churches kind of getting absorbed into that in different sorts of ways. But we're also seeing in some areas the rise of the independent stores where like you're wanting to support the independent local restaurant, bookstore, things like that, that aren't overtaking Walmart, but that there's this unique niche that want to be a part of that. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you're seeing any kind of like uniqueness in students coming out where there is this obvious movement towards students who want to be a part of this bigger thing, but are there like some unique kinds of niches of students that are like, Oh, I want to do these other kinds of things in ministry that don't really fit in the box of the typical mega church. There are, but they're not common, right? So, so they would be in the minority, but they would be attracted to things like working with the the less lovely people, right? Working Mm -hmm. with marginalized people, um, working with a more socioeconomically diverse group, um, wor- working with indigent populations, it, there would be something specific about that student that there's a real drive or a real call for them to want to go and work extra hard to be, you know, part of a small team. Um, but my my experience with those few that want to do that is that they last a long time in ministry. There's there's this inner drive to serve. That propels them for a very long time. Um, and if they have found that to be their calling, then they will stay with that for a very long time, you know, for decades, not years. My experience with those that are called to megachurch and, and are drawn to the megachurch model, I, I don't think they have fared as well in terms of longevity. And I don't know why that is. That's just my own. That's not a study. That's just my own anecdotal yeah. you know, personal experience. Maybe they didn't get to do all the things that they wanted to do, or they were disillusioned in some way, or they didn't get to rise through the ranks. I don't know, but the the minority that serves differently and uniquely has has done really well, and I think will continue to do well. Often they're doing that though with no limelight, with no recognition. Um, they're you know they're not part of um, any kind of PR campaigns, and they're not getting a lot of fanfare they're just they're just faithfully serving the lord hmm. no that's good and paul as you think about it and you're i know that you connect with with quite a few churches um you know what would you tell mid to, to small size churches what what could they be doing to try to attract 
maybe younger talent coming out of uh, Hope International and other organizations like you? So what I would say is, is become a very receptive nursery, right? Be- become a church that wants to grow young leaders. And part of that is as practical as don't let a 22-year-old sit in their office alone all week. You know, there, there's this mindset, the factory mindset that reigned over the last 50 years in the American church is pastors are supposed to be in the office doing church work. Well, that's a killer for millennials. They'd rather do anything than sit in their office. So find ways to engage the 22 to 25-year-old pastors relationally with meaningful work. Let them work from home some. Give them ideas for projects. Um, and and be, be mindful that they're going to need more face time than you did. Um, you know, the, the old transactional way of doing um, leadership was very simple. I pay you, you do your work, we get on with it, even in the church. And that doesn't work with millennials. That doesn't work with these young pastors. They need to be fed and they need to be nurtured and they need FaceTime. So if I was running a church of 300 to 500, I, I would adopt a young pastor and I would recruit two really cool families to love on that young man or young woman and say, you, you adopt them and they become part of your family, right? So quality time, interaction, you know, the, the 23 year old doesn't need to know that, sure. that this is going on, but sure. I would, you know, it's just like when we have a, a shy kid come into youth group and you, you pick your outgoing kid and you tap him on the shoulder and you go, please go talk to the quiet kid. Yeah. Right. I would, I would have families bring that young pastor in and then I would make sure that they're getting to do meaningful work. So, you know, they get to be stretched uh, in this experience. They get to preach, even though that's challenging, they get to teach and sometimes that teaching goes well and sometimes it doesn't. But I would not make them sit in the office in this kind of receptive mode doing work like we did two generations ago. I would try to make it active, interactive. I would pay them well. Hmm. Um, and I would talk with them a lot about what the future could look like. Because um, they, they get worn out pretty quickly doing the same thing with no hopes of doing anything else down the road. No, that's very helpful. I, I appreciate that. Um and as we were talking about uh, just leadership in general or leadership in crisis, you know, it's, it, it can be easy to get responsive or reactive, if you will. Um, but one of the things, you know, as leaders is we're always being challenged to try to be proactive and think about the future. And sometimes that just gets really difficult. But what are some of the practices or rhythms that you've kind of intentionally put in place to, to think about the future? You know, what's coming you know, year, three years, five years, so on and so forth? Well, um, t- two things. Part of it is space for reflection. Um, and, and this goes back to my days in college. A little booklet came out that's now famous, but it came out when I was in school, The Tyranny of the Urgent. Mm-hmm. And that Tyranny of the Urgent was a little booklet. I think University Press did the original release of that. And when I take time to remember this, um, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that I spend most of us as leaders spend most of our time dealing with emergent issues, right? The crisis of the day, the unhappy customer, the person that writes the nasty email, the person that writes the nasty back in the days of comment cards in churches, right? The person <laughs> that writes, writes the snarky comment card and the larger our organization, the more things will pop up. I mean, personnel issues alone in a larger organization can occupy half of our time. 
So one of the rhythms that is required of us to take good care of our souls and our church and our colleges and our whatever is, is to put a hard wall and take time to step back and say, if I just keep doing this, is my organization going to grow, progress, mature, adapt, and evolve? It can't. If all I'm doing is maintaining, I'm going to die and this organization is going to die. So I have to engage in regular strategic thinking, which requires me to put a hard stop and get away. Now, for me, Mike, Mike knows this. I'm a fly fisherman, right? So Mike, I know, does woodworking. For me, I, I have to get out away, break up the rhythm of the routine and the urgent and get out on the water. And it's on those trips um, that I really think about my personal future and my organization's future, what am I going to have to put in place to thrive? And what am I going to have to put in place for my college, my university to thrive? What are the people? What are the things? What are the resources? What are the new ways of thinking? Um, you know, I'm, I'm really indebted to um, one of the presidents here at Hope, who almost 30 years ago heard about this new thing called um, online learning and remote learning. It was called distance education back in the day. Yeah. And he said, we need to be in that. Nobody had any idea how to do that. But he said, this is going to be the future. And we were, because of that president, we were one of the first, you know, kind of tip of the spear on the West Coast in all colleges, not just Christian colleges. Wow. Because he said, I see a megatrend coming. I want to get ahead of it. And he made this strategic, very strategic move and investment at a time that they probably couldn't afford it. But his thinking was, we can't afford not to do this. That comes because we keep our eyes open and we give ourselves time and space, right? So how do I keep my eyes open and how do I allow for time and space? It doesn't mean that everything that we notice we have to do. Thank goodness. We can't, <laughs> we can't do everything we notice. Sure. You know, we're leadership ADHD. But I think one of the essential habits for us as leaders is to protect our precious mental space, right? To, to clean the decks, clear the decks, um, and, and get the good kind of soak time. And the most important part of my fly fishing trips is not even the time on the water. It's the windshield time that I get driving up and down Highway 395, oh, yeah. the most dangerous high, highway in America, right? <laughs> so focused on not getting hit by crazy drivers, but then just, you know, blue sky, wide open, high desert landscapes of just decompressing and thinking about the future. No, that's great. That was a long answer. Sorry. No, it's perfect. It's actually really great. And um, I want to ask her a super, super practical question about this. In your ideal scenario, and I know like COVID has, has thrown some ideal scenarios out the window, but in your ideal scenario, how often are you doing those trips? Well, pre-COVID, I, um, I would try to spend at least a day, a quarter uh, on the okay. water as, as an average. During COVID, uh, I try to spend one good chunk of every other week uh, working on my koi pond in my backyard as a proxy. Okay. And when, I, when I've been doing seminars on soul care, it's amazing how many times people resonate with this idea of proxy, of a simple proxy for fill in the blank that we can't do anymore, but we can do this. So, you know, I can't go to Starbucks, but I can create a Starbucks space in my backyard. I can't go x but i can create half of x in my home for me i have a, a 1800 gallon koi pond and if i can spend several hours weeding it tinkering 
you know, messing around with the fish and the plantings around the pond, it's kind of like fly fishing, right? <laughs> well, you it's, could you could fly fish it. You could, yeah, you can do anything once. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so so I want to circle back in a little bit. I just wrote down a note. To, I want you to talk a little bit about the soul care seminars that you're doing. And I know um, that we had you come in and do a um, depression and ministry seminar, which was fantastic. I'd love um, for our listeners to get to hear a bit about those and about what you're doing there. Um but I would maybe before we get to some of that, we'll push that towards sort of the end of the interview. Uh, I was curious, you while you'd been at Hope for quite a while and you were in a vice president role for then a while, you moved into the leadership role as the president of the university just a little bit over a year ago, right? Was it like yeah, August? Yeah, fourteen months. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I I was at your your inauguration, which was which was thank lovely. you for coming. It thank you for really coming. Fun. And, um, and you had this like great vision about, if I remember right, it was something about like training a thousand ministers a year. Is that right? So, yeah, that's, that's, that's piece the call and, and vision that I feel, you know, we have, um, we have over 300 students at any one time right now at Hope preparing for ministry. And my dream of dreams would be that we have a thousand at, at any time preparing for ministry. Um, okay. that, that, you know, in terms of, of legacy and gift and societal yeah. change, I, I cannot imagine the impact of a thousand pastors reaching the hundreds of thousands of people that they would be touching. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my big dream of dreams. I love it. I mean, I love I love I think it's audacious. I think it's got all kinds of layers to it, like you're alluding to there. Um, the thing that I was kind of curious about is. I would assume you had in your mind an idea of like, here's how we're going to do this. And this is what it's going to look like. And then, and you're just a few months into it and COVID hits. Yep. (laughs) So maybe (laughs) maybe we could get back to kind of what you're alluding to a little bit earlier about like, what has that meant and look like for you to, to adjust or pivot? Or do you like, that you're just like, we push through this and this is, we're going to do it that same way. And we just kind of got to get through this blip on the radar. Like how has that affected the way that you're leading? So, you know, the, the mission never changes. Okay. I mean, the, the mission is the rifle shot that we shoot every day, every week and every month. It, it is um, unbendable. It is unchanging. We keep firing that shot and it moves quickly and it moves in a straight path. And everything that we do needs to be serving that mission. The method is all over the place right now because of the pandemic. And um, to to believe that we have to do education the same way during a pandemic is crazy making. It's almost psychotic. I mean, it's it's a detaching from reality if you think we're going to be doing everything the same way during a pandemic, a once a century pandemic. We can't. So we're all pivoting, every church, every organization, every business, and some are pivoting better than others. Now, in higher ed, it was pretty easy to pivot because we'd already been doing online learning for 22 years. So right, we had capacity and we had formulas and we had a platform. For organizations that had no virtual um, IQ and no virtual awareness, virtual IQ, that's good. I'm going to write that down. I'm keeping that, right? <laughs> right? For organizations, that it's been a much harder pivot, right? It's been clunkier and it's, it's been more problematic. So we can keep doing this and, and stay true to our mission. Time will tell if 
the pivot is actually serving everyone well or not, right? It's pragmatic, it's functional, but are, are we really gonna thrive with this kind of pivot this way? And, and I suspect most of our pivots uh, will not allow for thriving, but they're close. They're as close as we can get. And I think one of the real challenges that we're all doing during this pivot is we have lost essential contact with each other's. And, and this is a soapbox for me, but I'm preaching it, right? So again, the backdrop, I know we don't get ahead of ourselves, but the backdrop That's of good. soul care for pastors and for the people that pastors are taking care of, one of the real problems we have is we're living in a life of pseudo-intimacy. We have replaced actual intimacy with social media and with the idea that we're connecting. So we'll use this interview as an, as an example. It's a kind of connection, and it's better than not connecting. But is this interview feeding my soul? It's feeding my mind a little bit. It's feeding your mind, right? We're thinking, and we're thinking more deeply than we would if we're just doing some other kind of random work. But am I, am I growing? Am I being enriched? Is my brain happy? So one of the things that happens in personal connection is our brain is actually happier, right? The dopamine, the the phenylethylene, the things in our in our bloodstream and in our brain are literally happier and stronger and better when we're face to face. So while we can pivot to remain intact, it's not going to help us thrive in the long run. And that's always been one of my concerns about online only anything, whether it's church or school. A remote learning, I'm afraid that we're going to be paying a pretty high, this is my pessimism side, I'm afraid we're going to be paying a pretty high price for the way we're all pivoting six and 12 and 18 months from now. I don't know that, uh, but I think that that's that's certainly a concern. Yes, there's some sort of like, you have to be leading in a way where you're not just fixing the reality of the moment that you've got to make some quick changes, but now you're thinking about like, okay, how do we come out of this in a way that's bringing about some better, more long-term health. Yeah. And so, you know, one of my concerns, I, I go to a large church and they pivoted well. Um, and by well, I mean quickly and efficiently, right? Mm -hmm. But is that best? Is, is, that, is that really what is going to mend my heart? And I, it's, just, it's just so fresh. It's so new we don't know what we don't know yet about virtual church and virtual conversations, but there is a little blip that, that worries me. And it's about six or eight weeks ago, National Institute of Health and the CDC released a, released a snapshot study of American adults in the U S and they found that suicidal ideation had gone up almost 300% during COVID wow. from around 4% of the U S population having some loose um, suicidal ideation from time to time to over 11% of the U.S. adult population having some sort of loose suicidal thought from time to time. Now, it was a big sample size. I believe the sample size was over 5,000. It wasn't like a sample size of 50. But that that is a really troubling, troubling stat, right? That that yeah. one in 10 of fill in the blank, any, any area, any occupation, you know, gender regardless, race regardless, age regardless, the average American adult, one in 10 of us during COVID have thought, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I can't, I can't do it anymore. And I, you know, isolation has to be one of the biggest reasons. You know, there, 
There's functional things like you know economic impact, and certainly that's a stressor. But I suspect the greatest battle we're having right now is people feeling detached and alone and without help. And that's that's what breaks my heart about the pandemic. Um, is yeah. this this isolative part of it? So so what are you recommending to people in terms of soul care in this season? To to be with in any way possible. So if they can be with family, to actually be with them. Mm -hmm. If they can be with people that they know are safe and healthy, to be with them. Um, I remember I had always made fun of people that were addicted to their screens, right? And I've always been kind of proud of myself that I, I don't think I'm addicted to my screens. I've noticed my kids are on more screen time than I am. A couple of months ago, both kids were home. They're both in their 20s. They're both home on one particular day. And I looked over and my wife and I and both my kids all at the same time had our faces buried in screens. Hmm. And I, it, it hurt my, it wasn't just, oh, wow. It was a, it was a, it was a dark moment mm. of realization that I don't know how many, this is going to get emotional saying this. I don't know how many times I'm going to get in a given year, having both my adult kids home at the same time, right? This gift that I was wasting. Uh, and, and we have become, this is how I know I'm getting old when I make a statement like I'm about to make, <laughs> we have become anesthetized to the negative impact of screen time. Mm. It's, it's so much a part of our routines. And as an introvert, I like it. It keeps, you know, I don't have to enter into awkward conversations with strangers. There's something to do if I have to wait. But it's killing us. I, th I think the screen time could be killing us. That's good. Did I answer your question at all? It was certainly no, a fun journey. Good. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. It was, it was okay. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, on, on that, you you talked about organizations needing to pivot. And, and I guess my question is kind of twofold. You know, as we think of the the, the church, um, you know, today versus the church of tomorrow, uh, which is, you know, what we're focused on, you know, what pre, I would say, COVID pandemic, what did you think the greatest challenge facing the church was? And what do you think it's now? Well, I think pre-COVID, my well, how do I say this nicely? I, <laughs> you don't. You don't have to say it nice. Pre-COVID, pre I think honestly, um, I think the biggest challenge for pastors in in American culture um, is consumerism. Mm -hmm. it, it's just the the crass simplistic idea that a good church is a good, is a church that's entertaining and that makes me happy and that I rate the goodness of my church and spiritual experience based on whether or not I like the song set, the mood and feel in the room and, and the likability of the pastor and his or her message, yeah. right? That, that my spirituality is reduced to, I'm going to go plug into this, outlet for 30 60 90 minutes a week and if i enjoy it then i'm part of a good church hmm. i'm not serving i'm not engaged i don't really know people i can come in quietly and i can leave quietly and that, yeah. that makes this a good church and a good church experience and we've done a really good job attracting people the last 15 20 years right the attractional model has worked 
but what is it that we're attracting people to? And we're, we're kind of accidentally reinforcing it and trying to give them a better and better and better experience. But what are they actually getting? Now, if we change it up in one week and say this week, there's no music, there's only a message and it's going to be a dry message and there's no light show, you know, everybody have fun and, you know, and, and please come back. Right. So what's the option? You, you don't take away the attraction model, but you introduce the idea that there's so much more to this life. Mm. And I think one of the most underutilized things in our churches is the power of testimony. It's good. Um, in the, in the sixties and seventies churches got on board and realized in the Jesus movement, the Jesus people movement taught us the power of testimony. And so for five to 10 years in a lot of um, coastal churches, East and West coast, people would get up on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights and their flip flops and their cut off jeans and they would grab the mic and they would, they would say their testimony and people would clap. And, and there was a, there was a spirit around that, that culture of testimony. But as church has gotten more programmed and more, um, more controlled and gotten bigger, we move away from the average person being on stage talking about their experience. And I've, I've always been convinced that somebody will remember a testimony for a lot longer than they'll remember a typical message. Yeah. I know I will. I'll remember somebody's personal story for years. I may not remember my pastor's sermon more than two weeks from now. And I, and I pay pretty good attention. <laughs> right. No, it's true. It's the power of storytelling. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I think you, I think you, you make a great case. Um, and I think that is uh, an issue that's been, you know, facing the church. It's, it's what you get them with is almost what you have to keep them with. Right. right. And um, there, there's, there's been, I, I think maybe there's been some accusation of shallowness in some of that. And the challenge of trying to grow people in the midst of that has always been, uh, you know, the challenge, it yep. seems like. So I, you know, I, I'm an oversimplifier and overly analogistic. Is that a word? Analogy. <laughs> it is now. Analogy You're a doctor. <laughs> you get to make it. <laughs> analogistic. Anyway, um, I don't, you know, don't take away the dessert buffet, but, but have a little more broccoli each week. Right. Yeah. If, if we're putting the diet together and just increase that over time. I think people, it's, it's like when I, you go to a movie and you, you think, I really like that movie. Cause it actually made me think I really like that book. Cause I had to read it slowly. I think we can have church opportunities that cause us to eat and think more slowly sometimes, just oh, sometimes. That's, that's good. Yeah. And so that's, and that's pre COVID was the challenge. Um, our current challenge now, and, and you alluded to it, I think earlier and a, a big part of that was just connection, right? Right. This false sense of, community or quasi community. Um, So I'll answer the post COVID challenge. uh, And I've, I've given this a lot of thought and I think I can say this without getting uh, firebombed (laughs) because I'm going to say it carefully. I think post COVID, one of the greatest challenges is to address the intense tribalism, not in America, but in and among our churches. Mm. And it came sharply into focus for me when I got together at a socially distanced event for my small group at my church about two and a half months ago. And um, things 
we went from a kind of casual conversation and it, it pivoted into a, or devolved into a political conversation, which got very animated very quickly. And there are probably 10 couples at this get together in a big circle at a park. And at one point I looked around the circle and I thought, all right, three of us couples haven't said a word and look mortified. Mm. And the other seven couples are very happy to be discussing their views. And they all agreed with one another. Being one of the, in one of the three couples that viewed things quite differently, I thought, do I say something or not? And if I do say something, what will be the result of this relationally and reputationally? Right. Do I do I say something or not? And, and how do we even have the conversation? And what concerns me as a Christian leader is that we've become so polarized, according to some new research. Right. So there's some new research that shows that the, that the two views are further away now than they have been ever, at least in terms of how we've been doing social research. The conservative and liberal views have moved further and further apart the last 10 years. Yeah. How do we develop a syntax that will allow us to even talk to each other? Because mm. I knew that night if I even tried, I didn't know. I felt that night <laughs> that if I even tried to say something, two things would happen. It wouldn't be heard well, and it couldn't be received well. Right? So one of the greatest challenges, and I, I said this on a soul care webinar the other day to a, to a large group of pastors. And I said, one of the challenges I see for you all as pastors is how do you meaningfully help people put Jesus above politics? Yeah. How do you, how do you do that meaningfully and practically without offending people and without people bathing themselves in all sorts of assumptions? Yeah. And some pastors are going to be better at that than others. Um, if I was going to a church right now and the pastor at my church were clearly declaring what tribe he was in, um, I don't know that I would feel comfortable at that church, even if I'm in that tribe. Because I don't, I, that's not what I want or need from the church. Now, we're getting very personal here, but I, I don't want or need that in a church. Half of my friends are hardcore Republicans and half of my friends are hardcore Democrats. That's a weird place to be. Yeah. Right. That's that's a weird place to be. And yet. It's it's the reality of where we are. COVID has intensified those thoughts and feelings. So how do we pastor? How do we listen to each other? How do we accept one another? I was so upset the night of this get together that for about 24, 36 hours, I had a feeling that I don't belong at my church anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, it wasn't it wasn't a, an abiding daughter feeling. But it was an emotional reaction to thinking, man, value-wise, I'm in a very different place than most of that group. So why don't I leave the church? Well, I don't leave the church because in spite of our differences, they love the Lord. Right. Right. And they know Jesus died for them. And even though I think that they're not understanding some things politically the way I would— I know they're still entitled to their opinion. Yeah, now, that's a good word, and I think it's a good reminder. You know, as as Jesus has called us to keep our 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 eyes and our minds on the things of above. You, you yep. know what I mean? And we get so yep. 
kind of wrapped up into the chaos of today that we we often lose sight of that. And so I, I really just appreciate you being vulnerable on that because I think that's on a, on the hearts and minds, even if people aren't willing to say it, it's on the hearts yeah. and minds of a lot of people, especially you know, especially in the church today. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have one more thought. I have one more brief thought. I challenged myself after that night uh, with people from my church to find the most neutral news source I could find and to only listen and watch that news source. And it's it's been a really interesting experience. I spend time on a on a, a in a different channel than I have. It's been really good for me. I'm not a news junkie, but I thought I'm just going to change my source and go to what I believe to be based on my research. What I believe to be a neutral outlet, and I find it really refreshing. I don't like everything I hear, uh, but you know that that is required of us in this time politically is is to think about our thinking. I think, right? No, that's great. Yeah, yeah. and it's 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 a sad state of affairs that we have to go look and find news sources that are unbiased. <laughs> well, and I, you know, you'll never find a perfectly unbiased right. anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, well, Paul, I would love to, you've, you've kind of like trickled in some things about, about your soul care seminar. And, um, one of the things that I love about you is that you've been involved in ministry. You've been a pastor on staff at a church. You have helped train up, uh, pastors as an undergraduate professor. And now you lead a college that has this vision of, training a thousand, um, uh, pastors a year, which is just phenomenal. And so you've got these like unique vantage points of like of ministry in some ways that a lot of people don't. And so what you bring into that soul care seminar for leaders and pastors is really, I think, significant. So I would love to like, just kind of end our time together by you just sharing a little bit about like, what is that? And for any of the pastors or leaders that are listening that would want to sort of tap into that, to just share about how they could find out more about it. So uh, thank you for asking that. So it uh, it was it was born out of tragedy. Uh, we had in Southern California a couple of years ago. We had three pastors in in a very short period of time all take their lives or take their own lives. Um, and and out of that experience just came a desire to to put together a resource for churches. So I put together a, a seminar. I did it at your church, Mike, and and um, with my friend here from Hope, Joe Grana, we've given it to 1,500 pastors in the U.S. And we ran a survey um, each time we did it, the, the various settings, probably 15 or 16 settings, different places. We just ran a survey and asked the, these nine factors that contribute to depression, you know, rank them. And number one, whether it's cause or effect, we don't know because it's a simple survey. But number one challenge for pastors is taking engage in their own soul care. Now, is that a cause of depression or is that a symptom? Maybe yes, right? Maybe it's both. So I was beginning to put together a part two uh, for, you know, what did we learn and how can we develop a, a better rhythm to take care of ourselves? And then COVID hits. And I put a pause in the second seminar and just developed a, a little kind of in-between seminar on self-care during covid Mm-hmm. because it was, you know, it's a brick to the face for pastors that are used to doing one thing one way. And now we're all driven off the road into a sand. I'm very visual. I, I envision Coven like I'm driving along fine. And then my wheel gets whipped over. And now I'm in deep sand. And it's like, mm-hmm. what, 
crap, how did I end up here? Yeah. Right. So I've done this now for maybe half a dozen churches um, and the Spire Network as well. Just how do we take care of ourselves? So we're talking about energy givers and energy grabbers. And then I've introduced this idea of trap doors. And that seems to resonate, that there are there are fear-inducing moments and phenomena in COVID that are that are paralyzing for leaders. And almost all of it is economic-based, right? So what if everybody stops giving money at my church? What if people stop coming? What if what if students stop coming to my university? And we get very fatalistic and it happens really quickly. And I think it's running all the time behind the scenes. And one of the reasons we're exhausted is that there's sometimes not even at a conscious level, there's this fear, the squirrel cage going all the time of this is never going to end. Life's never going to be okay again. Doom and gloom, right? And and it'll pop up every now and then. But pastors are really struggling. Um, leaders of organizations are struggling. And as a leader, right, everyone listening is probably in leadership. There's a delicate balance. I want to admit that I'm human, but I can't walk around leading with my head hanging down. Yeah. Right? Two generations ago, uh, our answer would have been to act like everything is perfect. Well, that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Um, young followers don't buy that anymore. But they also don't need us to go, wow, this really is horrible. I really don't know how we're going to make it. Right? <laughs> so there's this, there's this middle area that's helpful for us to admit we're doing our best. We're trying to trust the Lord, but it's okay to admit there are days during COVID that are just rough, you know, just rough. So we're trying to encourage folks, um, trying to give people a cup of cold water and talk about self-care very practically, right? So what are the, what are the things I'm doing and not doing right now um, that I can evaluate so I'm taking better care of myself? That's great. That's and great. so if, um, if a leader is interested in connecting with like how to bring that into their space with their leadership team, the pastors at their church, or maybe like a, a network of pastors that they're a part of, how would they? Sure. Well, they, folks can email me or they can email Joe Grana. Um, it's also on the Spire network um, as a recording already, but folks have to have the Spire app to be able to do it. And it's under the resources tab, I believe. Um, it's, uh, on the one inspire tab, it's about a 35 minute seminar. Okay. Um, as I'm able to, I'll do it for organizations and it's, um, I've got seven questions that churches can use for discussion. I can't do it a lot right now, but I, I, sure. I do have some freedom, um, to do that. So P Alexander at hiu.edu and, and we'll try as much as we can to get people connected. One case, I just was able to send someone to a recording cause it didn't work out schedule wise. And, you know, we can make that, that happen. Great. Yeah. Uh, thank you. We'd love that we get to point people towards those great resources. And um, for those that are unfamiliar, the Spire Network is the network of churches that come out of the independent Christian church, which is what um, Hope is related to. Would that be a fair way to... That's a perfect way. Say it? Great. Yep. Perfect way. Great. Well, um, Dr. Alexander, I just appreciate you so much. I have so much respect and love for you, and um, it just warmed my heart to get to see you a bit today. So thanks so much for being on the Tomorrowland Church podcast with us. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be on it. Thank you. All right. Well, um, I really enjoyed that conversation with uh, Dr. Alexander. I always enjoy opportunities to get to connect with him and to get to talk with him. In fact, 
one thing I was remembering, Blake, is um, when I had gone to serve as an, I'm an adjunct professor over at the school. And when I first started teaching there, he asked me one day if he could take me out to lunch. And we went out to lunch and he had no reason to take me out to lunch. He wasn't my supervisor or anything. And we, when we went out to lunch, he talked about a paper that I had written in his adolescent psychology class, like 15 or whatever, 20 years before. Wow. And I was just blown away by the, um, that while he also like leads an organization that he would be so personal to remember, like to not only want to take me to lunch, but to like, remember something really small like that. Um, it was probably also a really good paper. I'm going to assume that. Yeah, that's my assumption. I mean, my assumption is it had to be a pretty fantastic paper, but, uh, no, it was great. I, 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 you know, um, I know a little bit about him and, um, you know, actually my wife had him as a professor at some point. And so it's awesome just to see that, you know, he's been loyal to that organization, you know, and has, has seen it from different sides. And I think he's the right person to be leading it at this time. And, you know, he just shares a lot of wisdom and knowledge. And, um, I just, you know, it's that, that idea of, uh, just for a time such as this. And I think we can, we can all agree that maybe this isn't, um, the best time for colleges across the United States, universities and colleges. Um, but you can definitely see, uh, where he's, he's leading just with wisdom and making the right decisions and seeing the fruit of that, um, there on campus and even beyond, um, as they do a lot of education remotely, you know, and so it was just a, just a blessing for us to be able to spend some time with him uh, during this season. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, what was something that he talked about or something that, that he shared that sort of like stuck with you from our time with him? Yeah, I think the, the, the one thing that stuck out to me, and there was more than one, but the one, um, that was intriguing to me, um, actually kind of heartbreaking, uh, to be honest, was when he had mentioned, um, that basically his, the, the students, um, there really had no interest and those were his words, right? No interest in serving uh, medium or small size churches. And I think that just caught me off guard. You know, as we look at uh, the the American landscape and uh, the churches, uh, I think it's fair to say that a majority, um, an overwhelming majority of those churches are small or medium-sized churches, a lot of them being 100 people or less in attendance on a, on a Sunday morning. And it just seems like, you know, it kind of goes back to the, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And, you know, um, God is, God has got ministry all over and in different shapes and sizes. And, and I think it was just sad to hear that, um, for some reason that a smaller medium sized church, um, wouldn't be, uh, a, a, a choice that somebody would make given the fact that they've been given a calling, you know, and sometimes I wonder, you know, is, is, are we, are we chasing God's calling? Or are we kind of chasing our own calling in, in some way? Um, and, uh, so that, that was hard to hear. And, um, you know, and I get why, you know, some younger leaders would want to work for, for mega churches. I get it. There's a draw there, you know, there's a certain success there. Um, there's, there's opportunities to grow. Um, and I understand that sometimes, uh, the, the compensation might be even a little bit better at a larger church than a smaller church. And, um, so I, I can get all of that, but 
you know, on the other side of that, there are some some amazing things that are offered through the smaller churches. Um, one is a is a small you know family of community uh, wanting to you know to live life together, and they're willing to take some inexperience, so to speak, to help young pastors and leaders grow. You know, and I think I think we need a lot of that. I think when we when we graduate college, I think you can remember back we we had some head knowledge, but we had no experience. And you've got to you've got to gain that experience, right? And and you know how how are you supposed to gain that experience? You know, and and I think those smaller churches uh, offer more opportunities in that way. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, to to grow and expand um, uh, what you're trying to accomplish in the ministry. And then I think there's this false sense that success means big. And some sure. way, you know, where along the way we've we've lost sight what success and ministry looks like. And um, one of one of my f- favorite people, um, just in general, is Kent Hughes, and he wrote a book about. Um, it, it's titled "Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome," and I think he just brings it back to the basics. You know, he had gone to seminary learned um, all the things that were supposed to make you successful and kind of came out on the other side of that saying, you know, those are important things, but they're not the things, you know, that yeah. makes ministry successful. And so I just hope that, um, you know, it, you know, as we go into the future, that uh, young leaders would take the opportunities to, to, to minister in some of these small and medium sized churches. I mean, they certainly have the heart of us at Plain Joe Studios, you know, whether you're a mega church or your small church, You've you've got something that a lot of people don't have, and that's the gospel that we're supposed to share. And you've got your own unique story, and uh, we're just excited about uh, you know a medium to small sized church's story as we are a mega church's story, you know. And and so I, I hope to see that change in the future. Yeah, um, uh, one of the things I loved when I stepped in and started doing some uh, work with Plain Joe was that I've gotten to connect with some really great smaller and medium-sized churches that we're doing work with. And they're phenomenal churches that are, a, they're a gift. They're a yeah. gift to the community that they're in. They're a gift to, to the, to the larger church. And, um, and like you said, like one of the things we love to do is to find out a church's unique story. And there are some really, really unique things, unique stories being written through some of the smaller, medium-sized churches. And so, um, younger leaders that are listening to this, we would just encourage you to not discount the smaller church. That's like, right. Don't yeah. don't discount what not only what God can do through those churches, but also the way that God might want to use you in spaces that um, that you didn't expect to um, be the space that you were going to be used in. That's so, right. Yeah. Well said, Mike. Um, one of the things that was really interesting to me that's just been rattling around in my head ever since Dr. Alexander said it is he talked about, um, consumerism being the biggest detriment to the church today, which, you know, I, I feel like I've been a part of dozens and dozens of conversations around that over the past 20 years. The thing that was most interesting to me about that though, was that he said the way to combat that is to reintroduce testimonials, Mm. to bring back the idea of, um, people sharing, publicly what God is doing in their life and creating space for that, even in the church service as this way to like help see God working in everyone's lives to sort of level the playing field. It even like in some ways, like takes a little bit away from the, the celebritization of the pastor and, um, and is a way to, is like one little way to, um, recalibrate around the priesthood of all believers. And so I, 
I really appreciated that. I was grateful for that from him. Yeah, no, in, in, um, right. There's nothing new under the sun, you know, and I think of Jesus and his early ministry, um, a, a lot of, a lot of that was done by sharing, you know, story, you know what I mean? And testimony yep. as we see disciples sharing their testimony in the gospel with others. And then those sharing the same with other people. And, um, you're right. I think, you know, that's gotten lost. Um, certainly it's gotten lost in the last uh, couple decades, the power of people's story, um, because it is powerful and it's unique. It, you know, God has done something through you, with you, through you, for you. Um, and, um, people connect with that. People connect with that and they desire that for themselves. I love it. I love it. So I love, yeah, moving into the future by grabbing a hold of something that's been a part of our past. And um, yeah, I think that's great. So friends, thanks again for joining us on the Tomorrowland Church podcast. We are a podcast to explore innovative ways that transformational leaders are leading and reimagining the church for tomorrow. We're produced by Caleb Henry, and um, you should hire him. Get a hold of him at caleb.m.henry97 at gmail.com. Our music was written and produced by Scott Moore at 1-O-N-E, Moore, M-O-O-R-E, Scott, at gmail.com. If you want to talk to Blake, you can email him at blake at plainjoestudios.com. And if you want to talk to me for some random reason instead of Blake, Mike G at plainjoestudios.com. We look forward to connecting with you next time.